Okay, today I'm excited to be joined by Luke Redpath, an iOS developer from the UK. Today we're going to explore the concept of protocol witnesses and the codable protocol. So protocol witnesses is a pretty abstract term, but basically it's what the compiler is doing for you when you use protocols in order to provide an actual implementation. So while we use protocols in, in Swift, the compiler is going to, under the hood, sort of decompose those into just basically structs with functions in them. So one shortcoming of protocols is that they can only have a single conformance. So this can sometimes pose problems if you want to use the same type in different ways. For example, we might want to conform to custom string convertible to, in order to get a string con uh, description of a given type, but we also may want to use this description to change based on the context it's being used in. So if we've implemented custom string convertible, we basically just have one shot to implement that method. So both Luke and I first learned about this concept from a series on point free, which I will link to in the show notes for this video. So I mentioned that I want to explore this topic in the context of the codable protocol. Uh, Luke, do you want to talk about why we might want to do that? What, what sort of problem would this solve? Uh, and why is codable sort of insufficient for that case? Sure. Um, so if anyone's really used codable, for example, when working with APIs, um, uh, a situation I've run into before is where you need to encode something, for example, for an API request in different ways, depending on the context it's being used in. For example, you may want to encode uh, the struct, uh, struct fully uh, for a post or a put request when you're creating that. But then you might only want to partially encode certain parts of it for a patch request. Um, so, you, for example, a user struct that might have a, an ID, an age, a name, and you only want to change, you want to have a, a screen where the user can change their name. And because the API implements that as a patch request, you just want to send the name. However, because Codable only lets you implement it in one way, either using the the one that the compiler gives you out of the box or a custom encoder implementation, there's no real way of doing that without effectively introducing a whole new type to represent the different variation. Um, and that we could look at how we could implement one in that way, and you'll see that it adds a lot of boilerplate. Mm -hmm. So in this case, like if we conform to Codable, we might want to use that for more than just uh, API requests. We might use it for caching locally or whatever. And so with the Codable protocol, we basically get to write that in code method once, and it's got to suit you know, all of those different use cases. So it's sort of limited in that sense. Um, so you mentioned that we could kind of work around this by creating different types, like maybe a change username struct that has uh, only the properties that we want to encode. And you know, maybe that leads to some arbitrary type explosion. Um, but you know, why, why would we choose to explore this sort of complicated topic to get around this rather than creating these types, which may be, you know, may be arbitrary, but at least simple to understand? Sure. So like you say, we could solve this problem by implementing different types, and then you would potentially need a different type for every subset of changes you might want to make. Or, or one way I've approached this in the past is to have effectively a patch type, which has all of the properties of the original type as optionals, and then implementing my own encode function to only include non-nil properties. But even with that, that implementation, you have to effectively keep the two structs in sync with each other, and it's it's very easy to introduce bugs in that right. way. Right. I guess in that in that case, you also have run into the risk of you can't necessarily influence a developer to make the right decision. Like, what if they don't know you're not supposed to send the ID with this request or whatever? Exactly. Exactly. You're you're kind of 
forced into making runtime checks when if you can lean on the compiler and get compile time guarantees that your program is correct that always is always a lot stronger check than making a runtime check and relying on for example unit tests mm -hmm. also this is a pretty fun challenge so that's <laughs> that's kind of why i'm on board uh with this yes uh, something i found in the past when, when you try and explore these protocol witness-based apis is uh you get to discover how, because they're effectively types that wrap functions, as we'll see, you get to explore some functional composition ideas that wouldn't necessarily reveal themselves with a protocol-based implementation. And it'll be interesting to see what we can discover as we try to implement Codable as a mm -hmm. protocol witness. Okay, so before we get into all that, I, I do want to like make sure that everybody's on the same page with what exactly is a protocol witness and what kind of, you know, what does it look like? And, and there's some concrete steps that we can follow on how to convert a protocol into a protocol witness. And so I have a playground here with like a super basic example. So maybe we could, uh, maybe you could walk me through the steps on how we could transform this into a protocol witness instead of this sort of uh, static approach. So, so a quick overview, I've got a protocol with a, that is called discountable and it's got a discounted method that returns a double. So this is kind of like the discounted amount and uh, then I have a purchase that has an amount on it and it implements that protocol or it can implement that protocol if I make it. Uh, then it has this implementation of the discounted method, which basically gives you 10% off. So if I wanted to say, print the description of a discount, uh, I could have a function that takes in, uh, let's say print uh, discount. And this takes in some value D, which is discountable and so this is, I don't know, some item, uh, which is an instance of D, and then this returns a string. And then here I could say, uh, okay, item.discounted, that gives me my discount. And then I could, I don't know, return um, discount and then just pass that in. And I'm not gonna bother with any kind of formatting, uh, but then I could say print a discount for a uh, purchase and the amount of the purchase is say $95. And what we end up with is, uh, you know, 85.50. So how could we sort of transform this? Because obviously I've hard coded one strategy for doing a discount in my type here. Sure, so the first thing we need to look at is uh, the shape of the function that's defined on the protocol. And if we, and if we have a look at it, it appears that we have what is effectively a void function that returns a double. Of course, this is an instance method, and instance methods have an implicit parameter, which is self. So one, one way we could try and define this is just as a free function. So we could define a discounted function, which takes some type. So yeah, we could use a concrete type to start with. So it takes a purchase and returns a double. Purchase, purchase. I should probably define it after. And a um, and returns a double, right? Yes. Okay. So here I would just copy this implementation and just say purchase dot amount. Okay. So the problem with this function is it's quite tightly coupled to purchase because it uses the amount property on the purchase. So that would make it tricky to generalize. So what we can do is we can introduce a, a type that wraps this function. We could call it something like discounting. And we can implement that as a, a struct that is generic over some some type. Okay, so just move this inside. And then uh, 
for the generic, we just use like an A. So right now, instead of implementing uh, a a function, what we're going to do is we're going to create a property that holds a closure that has the same shape as this function, but uses our new generic type. Like this, or like this. <laughs> and then what happens to this implementation? So now what we need to do, this, this is where the idea of a protocol witness comes in. A, a protocol witness is effectively a concrete implementation. Uh, and it's what the Swift compiler generates under the hood when you conform something to a protocol. So we, we could recreate our purchase discount by creating an instance of discounting that is gen, uh, going to specialize to the purchase mm -hmm. type. And it's going to take a single parameter, which is a closure, which we know will receive our purchase. And now we can add the logic that we had before. Okay. So this is a witness. This is okay. a witness. So now I can change my print discount, correct, to use a witness instead. So rather than being generic over that argument, I can now just say, give me a discounting of, well, I still need to be generic over something, but give me a discounting of that type. That's right. And you you also need, you need to pass in the item and also the discounting witness. Oh, okay. So item D and uh, witness. I don't love the term <laughs> witness, but uh, maybe maybe I could do that. We could just call it, we just could just call it discount. Ah. So with discount. With discount. Yeah, I like that. Okay. With discount, discounting of D. So those types line up, and in this case now I can say uh, discount and just uh, call the discounted function and pass in our item. That's right. Okay, so at this point, now uh, this is, let me uh, break this out. I'll create our item is a purchase like that. And I'll say print discount of item with, and now I need to pass in a purchase discount. And this is going to guarantee that the type that I pass here is the same as the type I pass here. That's right. Okay, so we've decoupled our type from any particular discount. So if I wanted to make a different one that is 80% off or something, I would just create a different function and pass that different function in here, correct? That's right. So we could create, we could create as many of these discounting types um, as we wanted to. And we could just assign them to, uh, to variables like this. But something we can do, which is quite nice with Swift, is we could open up uh, an extension on discounting and constrain it to the type we want to define our discounts for. So in this case, a purchase. Okay. And now we can move those inside the extension and define them as statics. And then maybe this could be called like 10% off. Exactly. And in this case, yeah, I think that if that's compiling, so now if we go back to where we're calling our print discount, we could actually just use Swift's um, type inference to just do dot. And, and the nice thing is it, it's only showing us the, the discounts that can be applied to a yeah. purchase. So we get that because type safety this, right. built in. Okay. Neat. Okay, so in that case, I could say static let $5 off equals discounting of purchase. And I'll just return purchase, uh, well, grab a, an argument. I can say p.amount minus 5. 
And now instead of doing this, or maybe in addition to doing that, I could say $5 off. And now we effectively have two implementations of that protocol in air quotes. And these are two witnesses to the same protocol, basically. Exactly. And I, I know you mentioned earlier, you weren't a big fan of the name protocol witnesses, <laughs> but um, it, it, we're, we're taking a quite a functional approach here. But if you kind of squint at this through an object-oriented lens, it looks a lot like the strategy mm -hmm. pattern, which a lot, a lot of people might be a bit more comfortable with that yeah. idea. Yeah, and an interesting part of the the fact, that, you know, as I've looked at protocol witnesses, it the reason why I kind of have a problem with it is that there's really no protocols involved. <laughs> so it is the idea of a protocol, a witness to the idea of a protocol, but the protocol is defined as a struct, basically. Or it's, it's defined as a struct that contains this sort of strategy block that you can define. Yes. Okay, so... This is an interesting exercise, right? But, uh, you know, what might we see if we continue down this path? So because our witness types are effectively just structs that wrap a function, we can try and explore some functional composition ideas and see if there's any benefits we could get from that. So currently, our discounting strategies are still quite closely coupled to purchase. But really, the only thing they need to know to be able to perform this discounting logic is, uh, is the amount itself. So it'd be interesting to see if we could redefine these as generic over a double, for example. We could effectively copy this and we're gonna change where A equals double. Now, we can actually, to avoid some repetition, we can actually just simplify this to self. So now what we're actually going to get in these closures is, we can say an amount is going to be a double. Mm -hmm and we lose that so we now we now have some discounts that can apl be applied to any double amount uh, and you, you can imagine for example we may have some other type with an amount property that we may want to apply discounts to so th there's no reason to to tie these strategies to a purchase for example the problem now is how, how do we apply these to a purchase before we, we we had that compile time guarantee that we could only apply discounts to a purchase that were defined as constrained to the type of purchase. Now they're constrained. If I, was, if I comment out these ones, it's no longer going to compile because these strategies are now constrained to type double. And of course, the, the compiler gives us a, a fairly reasonable error message about that. So we we could leave, we I could uncomment these, but there's they're effectively the same thing. The only difference is this one knows how to work with amounts directly. This one knows how to pull the amount out of a purchase mm -hmm. and apply it. But but we don't want to. We we should be able to take this logic we've defined once and reuse it and apply it to different types. So it sounds like you need something kind of like map, similar, uh, but something that actually goes in the other direction. So we want to be able to say. Given a discounting that knows how to work with doubles, if I, if I tell you how to convert some other type into a double, then you uh, we could create a discounting that works with that other type by reusing the discounting logic we already have for doubles. Okay. And there is actually a name for this, and some people call it contramap. Uh, another name for it is pullback. Uh, and, and the name pullback kind of derives from the fact that we're effectively taking some other type and pulling it back to the type we've already defined the logic for. So in this case, we want to be able to define a discounting of purchase by pulling back its amount property mm -hmm. to get, get the double and then... 
So if I could just pause for one second, because I find the, you know, when I hear these terms, it's so easy for, uh, for my eyes to just kind of roll back and, you know, and maybe even go to sleep. And I think that, you know, many people are kind of in this camp of like, oh no, here's another term I have to have to learn or whatever. So, so you mentioned, or I mentioned map, um, and map typically takes, you know, like a function of a to B, right. And returns, you know, something generic over that B or B itself. Right. And then you mentioned contra map, which is kind of like the inverse of this. So that, takes a B of A, but still returns to you something of B. And then another name for this, like you just said, was pullback. Okay, so maybe I could kind of explain like why map doesn't, like map is what I think in my head when I want to do this thing. I want to sort of transform the input uh, from one type to another. Uh, But there's actually nothing that I could implement here. Um, If if I wanted to take uh, discounting, let's say, and define a map function that takes, uh, so like this would be the type we're going to, and it takes uh, some function from A to B and returns a discounting of B. This is kind of like what we want. This is kind of the end result of like getting, if I start with a discounting of purchase, I want to get a discounting of, sorry, if I start with a discounting of doubles, I want to get a discounting of purchase, right? Because of what I was thinking is like, maybe I could take this, this example here and just map that. Um, however, I don't have an A to give this function. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Like I don't have the double yet. I've got the purchase. So this is kind of like why map doesn't really fit in this example uh, and why contra map or pullback uh, does make sense. I think contra map makes sense when you look at the shape being inverted, uh, but pullback makes more sense when you use it, I think. Uh, and I think as we'll see, like the term pullback, like eventually will start to make sense, but maybe you could implement the pullback function here. And then as we see it in use, maybe it would be a little bit more obvious. Sure. So let's go ahead and see if we can define this pullback function. So we know we want a, a function called pullback and we're going to have some other generic type, which we'll call B. And it's going to take some parameters, but I'm not quite sure what we want to put in there yet. We know it's going to return a discounting of B. So so we talked about this shape of having some function that goes from B to A. So we'll add that as a parameter. And so now, like I said, we need to return a discounting of B. So we can we can go ahead and do that. And we're going to need to provide a discounted function that goes from B to a double, which is the output of our discounted function. Now, this is an instance method on discounting. So we actually have access to uh, an existing discounted function, which is the one inside the discounting. However, that is a function that takes an A and returns a double. Mm -hmm. So as we have this function that goes from B to A, what we can actually just do is we can call self discounted. And as you can see, it's telling me it requires Mm -hmm. an A. Uh, so we can't pass in the other because that is a B, but we can actually pass the other into the function to convert it into an A. And now we can pass that into discounted and the compiler is going to complain because this isn't escaping. Now we actually have a working 
pullback implementation. Okay. So, so, so like you said, uh, seeing it implemented is one thing. Seeing how you actually use it will probably demonstrate its, its usefulness. So if we go back to the original problem, which was we now have these, these very general discounting methods, which can work with any double amount, but we still want to be able to define discounting methods that we can use with purchases without duplicating this logic. So will we open an extension on discounting again, where A equals A purchase? So we want to be able to define a 10% off discount for purchase. Like I said before, we could we could just copy and paste this and go back to what we had originally. But what we're actually going to do is define percent ten percent off. So we're going to start with the existing logic we already have, which is if we take a discounting of a double ten percent off, and then we can now pull back. Now pull back. Remember, is going to need a function that goes from B, which in this case will be a purchase and converts it to a double, which is the A that this, this type expects. So I'll be really explicit. We have a purchase. And of course, to convert a purchase into a double, we actually just need its amount. So we can do purchase.amount. Uh, oh, so the reason it can't infer the type is because I haven't actually specified what type. This is actually mm -hmm. going to be self, a discounting where A is equals purchase. And now the compiler should understand. And there we go. And of course, um, one great thing about recent versions of Swift, Swift is that we can actually pass in a key path in place of this type of closure where we just pull out a property from the closure mm -hmm. argument. So we can actually shorten the whole thing to keep our over amount. So now we have a 10% off discounting that we can apply to a purchase. However, we've not duplicated any logic. It's still ultimately pulling back the amount on the purchase to the logic we've already defined for doubles. Mm -hmm. So if we went back down here now, we can see the 10% off is now compiling again, and we could go ahead and implement $5 off to get this compiling as mm -hmm. well. For now, I'm just going to comment this one out. If you didn't want to define them right here in this discounting extension, you could, if you wanted to, just inline it here, right? There's nothing like that. You could totally inline it if you needed to. Yeah. So if I wanted to do discounting of double dot five dollars off and then pull back that to amount. Um, in this case, uh, I think the compiler would still be okay with this because it knows the type of argument it's expecting, which is a discounting of pullback. So it, the types should line up, and I think that. That would be fine. This certainly isn't as readable, but it would prevent you from kind of duplicating those properties if you, if you uh, wanted to have yes. some kind of longer chain or whatever. And uh, just just to demonstrate how flexible this is, uh, we've been really focused on the amount. But let's imagine, for example, our purchase type also had a shipping amount, and. Uh, Let's say, for example, we wanted to be able to have the option of just discounting the shipping instead. So we want to offer 10% off shipping. We already have 10% off logic here, and we've used it once to define 10% mm -hmm. off. But we could just go ahead and define a 10% off shipping, and all we need to do now is pull back to the shipping amount. And now we have a discounting strategy that we could apply to the, the to the shipping costs. So if we imagine the shipping amount was ten dollars, and now 
we could just change this to 10% off shipping. Um, and you can see if you go back to our original protocol-based design, uh, how inflexible it is compared to what we've been mm -hmm. able to do just with a very simple type and a, a little bit of functional composition. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that <laughs> that, that last example kind of really uh, nails it in terms of how flexible this can be. Uh, and we've only begun to scratch the surface here. There's, there's other um, ways we can compose these together, such as being able to combine multiple discounts into into a, a single discount, and that might be a good exercise for people watching. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably explore the idea of combining witnesses to create new ones in a in the next episode when we start looking at codable. Okay, um, real quick, I wanted to point people to your library that you created. Uh, called Swift Validations, which has like kind of a real life example of this concept. And just kind of scrolling down, I was reading the overview, and you know I haven't actually looked at the code yet. Um, but you know you mentioned that this is an implementation of of protocol witnesses. And I was scrolling through this README, and I saw this example down here where you have a validator of int and string. And again, I haven't looked at the code yet. I've never used this before. But I can kind of tell what this is doing. It's validating ints and returning probably an error message. And here you've you've defined one that's as greater than 10. So kind of similar to our example, our 10% off could have been a percent off where we pass in 10 as the as the argument, right? That's right. I mean, both of the strategies we just defined are static properties. They have no mm -hmm. input. But you could just as easily have um, witnesses that do have some input, which you could define as static functions to vary the behavior. So then we see a less than, which makes sense. You've got a lower age limit and an upper age limit. And, and then still, when you're validating, you're passing in a single witness or a single strategy, if you will, to, to the validator. And so in this case, uh, this one is using combine, not not the <laughs> capital C combine, but just a function called combine to basically compose one validator out of predefined validator. So in this case, you're creating an age validator, which combines this validation with that validation. And I just found this, this part, again, to be one of those things that just kind of drives the point home on why this technique might be useful. Yes, and if you dig into the source code of this library, you see I actually use pullback quite extensively throughout the library to define a lot of the validators that come with the library. For example, um, having a validator of a string's length is really just an int validator that pulls back along the string's count mm -hmm. property. So, so there's very little duplication of logic throughout the entire library using that. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's this example right here, kind of. That's right, yeah. Okay, so now we have an idea of what the protocol witnesses are and how we can start using them. I, I want to take this time again to recommend the uh, point-free series on protocol witnesses, uh, which I will link down in the show notes below. And uh, so next time we're going to take a look at how we can apply this concept to the codable protocol. That sounds good.